0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where my friend Lewis and I interview incredible people, entrepreneurs, investors, authors, thought leaders, creators, and more. Today we have Greg Ryder on the show. Greg is the CEO of LaunchCart, an e commerce platform creating a better, faster, and higher converting online store. In this episode today, we discuss being the youngest owner and CEO of an investment bank in the United States, which he did at the age of 21. Uh, Lessons from his 35 years as an entrepreneur in both finance, digital marketing, coaching, and more, a ton more. We also cover the story of his relationship with Master P. Master P is actually on the board of directors for LaunchCart. We talked about a transformation that happened early on in his career that affected the trajectory uh, of the rest of his life and career. We also talked about the strategy, the mission, the goals and the launch of Launchcart and much more and I will switch to that episode right now.
1: Greg, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited for this.
2: Yeah, thanks guys, appreciate it, man. I was always revel in the in the 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 idea that we can share some wisdom and some knowledge and you know help us, help some entrepreneurs avoid some landmines because I I've, I've stepped on a number of them. <laughs> Uh,
1: I love the term landmines. It's, it's very accurate. I'm thinking that, you know, you have a long career. There's so much interesting stuff that we could talk about. But I want to start out talking about uh, something that was on your LinkedIn bio that, you know, Kyle and I go back and forth, to look at your website, your personal site, the social media handles. There's so many resources we can consume. And I love the I don't want to say the parody LinkedIn accounts, but people have these things where it's like, you know, it's something where they go Stanford applied in this year, never got in, but the tour was really fun. Or there's something that's like, and now they say Yale liked, liked, the, uh, liked the stadium or just like they have like, they, like make it list like it's part of their educational institution, but it's really just like a one-liner. It's a funny trend. Uh, and you had on yours that you've been in the school of hard knocks for something like 30 years.
2: <laughs> exactly. You, you think about it, right? And it's like, I have this, this really interesting story that, that you know, it, it's made me who I am. And it kind of starts off with, The Think and Grow Rich book. You guys read the Think and Grow Rich book? Yes. Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Also, yes. Okay, so Rich Dad, Poor Dad was written about me, right? So so I literally was born into a very wealthy family. My parents got divorced, I was two, and my mom got married, divorced, married, divorced, and married. So I had multiple stepdads, and I visited my rich dad. And my rich dad taught me to invest. I was going, uh, like Kyle, I I I was going to get my real estate license. I got kicked out of college. I didn't like school at all. Got kicked out of college because what I do, I, I lived in Colorado. I went skiing every day. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I went to a college. It was right by a ski area. And i like, I just went skiing every day. It was like a hundred, I skied a hundred days that year. And then anyway, they kicked me out. But my dad taught me to invest. And at that same exact time, my older brother introduced me to personal development. So I read Think and Grow Rich. I got introduced to Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Dennis Rohn, Jim Rohn, Dennis Whaley, and Tony Robbins. And so that was kind of, that's what shaped me. And that's what's made me who I am. And then before I turned 21, I got my stockbroker's license and I bought the firm I worked for. And they held me in the newspaper articles as the youngest owner of an investment bank in the history of the United States at 21 years old. That was my first big mistake in life. So you guys are young kids. You can get that, right? So I think about the school hard knocks going, man, that was a dumb thing to do. I was like, I really had no idea. And Wall Street, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street. Man, that wolf chewed me up more than once. Man, I tell you, it, it it chewed me up and spit me out. And I was this young kid thinking I I read Think and Rich. I could do anything I wanted to do, and it was. But I'll tell you what the the, le- the lessons I learned and the games I got to play and the deals I got involved with, you know, shaped my future. And I'm 61 years old now, and I would I would do things differently if I could, but I wouldn't want to give back that street smarts that I learned.
0: Absolutely, uh, and we'll kind of dive further into that story most likely. However, I just wanted to ask about. Um, you know, that period where you really engrossed yourself into um, personal development, Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and et cetera. um, What were the things initially that kind of changed your course? If you remember, was there a a lesson or a principle that you kind of stood on uh, that led you to, you know, buy your firm and and dive deeper into the things that you were already doing? You know what I think? I think it really was like the think and grow rich philosophy of
2: you know, if you think you can, and, and you you put yourself around right people and mindful people, and you surround yourself with people and that mastermind idea, I think that was the first thing. And then I remember Jim Rohn said, you know, one of the things that Jim Rohn said, and I don't remember exactly, so I'm just kind of like I'm gonna botch this up, but he's like, you can't blame the government, you can't blame your boss, you can't blame anybody else. You got to blame yourself. You're you are a result of what you're you you you're the movie producer. You get how you produce your movie. And somehow that sank in. Like I got it. And then another one of them, I don't remember who it was. They said, You should, if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not learning, you're dying. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. There's no standing still. And, and somebody said, You should be learning 20 minutes a day. And this is back before you guys were even born, right? So, you know, we had cassette tapes and I was getting these tapes for $37 and $57 and $127. You know, what you might pay thousands of dollars now for some course now. We were getting the, and we're listening to the tapes in our car. So, you know, I took to heart that idea that if I'm not learning, I'm dying and I should be learning 20 minutes a day regardless. And I thought, and I don't know, I don't know why, and I hated school, but I, I, I was a falconer. I learned, I learned falconry and got into falconry and I learned hang gliding. And so I didn't mind learning hang gliding and reading all those books. I didn't mind learning falconry and learning all that stuff. And so when I found something I'm passionate about, I recognized that, man, if I'm passionate about it, I don't mind learning. I like to learn. And so the idea of these personal development teachers teaching this stuff going, and I want to accomplish things. And, and again, because I was born to this wealthy family and I lived in a different, not wealthy family, like I've seen what wealth looks like. I, you know, I tasted it, but I lived and I wasn't really poor. So I'm not going to say I was this poor boy, but we, we lived this, you know, this mediocre life. And I'm like, man, I want that side railroad checks.
1: It's kind of an extension of of Kyle's question. Now, what else? Because I think there's a lot of people who are in similar enough life circumstances who hear a lot of the same things and have been presented with opportunities to read the same books or had they recommended to them. Like, is there anything, whether it's personal or or situational, that made things actually click and resonate for you enough to alter the course of your life? A lot of people just hear it, brush it off and continue to do whatever that they were doing.
2: Well, you know, the biggest thing is, and anybody that's been around personal development for any length of time has heard this from everybody. It's, what's your why? Like, what's your why? And my why was, I wanted to prove to my dad I could be successful after dropping out of college. Like, I was rivet to prove to my dad that I, I could make something of myself. And my mom was very entrepreneurial and very supportive. And she was like, you could do anything. And my dad was like, you can't even keep a job. Your low life, blah, blah blah. You get kicked out of college, right? And so I was really driven to prove my dad wrong. That was that was my first original why. And then, of course, I met my wife of now thirty seven years, and we had kids, and that changed the why drastically. But that first few years, from like say nineteen to twenty two, the why was to shove it up my old man's. You know what? <laughs>
0: you mentioned kids there, and there was a period of your life uh, more recently, uh, maybe the early two thousands, where you focused a lot on protecting children while surfing the internet. Um, was there an impetus to that decision? And I know that that led to you meeting master P and, and that is my next question. Cause I, I definitely want to cover uh, your relationship with him.
2: Yeah. You know what, uh, <clears throat> when my daughter, she's now 28, when she was eight, she typed her name, Candace. Now again, I'm an early adopter, so I have computers everywhere. I, you know, I was online in 1996 type thing, 97. So I was really online early and she got online on a computer, typed her name, Candace, into a search engine at that time and got to porn sites. And she's like, daddy, daddy, mommy, mommy, why are these girls showing up their naked butts? That's disgusting. You know, and then you, we went and you close out the window and then another window would open. And you close out the window, another window opened. It was called windows trapping. And, you know, most kids don't even know what that is because they've kind of fixed that. I, mean, I literally had to pull the computer out of the wall like and shut the computer off and the power down because you just another one, another one, another one, another one, another one. And at that time, I went to go find some software to help protect her and it didn't exist. They had, they had what they called blacklist filters and a blacklist filter was, it would block websites. And, and and at this time, this is a really interesting story too. At this time, whitehouse.com was the number one trafficked porn site. And Teachers nationwide were you know, teaching their kids, yeah, go home, do your homework, go to whitehouse.com and not, oh, it's not whitehouse.gov, mm. right? And so here our teachers are sending the kids to porn sites. And so what they did is they created blacklist technology that said, okay, let's put whitehouse.com in a blacklist. And if you have this technology, you can't go there. Well, at that time, and again, if you know anything about the internet, you know that the internet was birthed by porn sites. I mean, they figured out all the split testing and all the video streaming. They 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 invented all this cool stuff that we use as marketers, right? So, you know, I'm like, it didn't exist, and my brother was a genius man. He was just a, one of these these Mensa guys. He goes, "Well, we should create your own browser." Now, this is before Netscape. This is like Netscape maybe it just came out, but this was before anything. And so we we ended up creating our own browser based on the Microsoft IE engine technology, and we made an we made a whitelist filter. And the whitelist filter was the opposite of blacklist going, no, we're going to make it so kids can only surf the sites that we include. And we had a pre-set site, Nickelodeon and Disney and blah, 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 blah. And then the parents could add to that list. And so that's how it started. And I'll tell you another quick, that I can go down that road for a while, but the really quick thing about that was I, I really felt like I need to take this to market and, and figure out a way to make this. I'm like, this is cool. Like I got something that was very passionate about my, you know, protecting kids and started speaking at PTAs all over the place. I'm like, how do I go to market with this? And so I ended up with this idea that God gave me this idea to private, the white label or not white, not private label, white label, but to brand it. And I thought to myself, God, what, what cartoon character can I brand it with that parents like and kids like at that time it was Shrek. And Shrek was like the number one guy he just came out. Everybody loves Shrek. Kids love Shrek. Parents love Shrek. So I said, I'm going to get Shrek. So again, going back to this personal development, I made the intention. I said Go. I wrote it down. I'm getting Shrek. I called DreamWorks, emailed DreamWorks, snail mailed DreamWorks every day for four months, and finally I got the call. And I got the call, and I went there, and I closed him in a 30 minute presentation, and we ended up creating the world's first Shrek Kids Safe Browser. Oh, and then and then and then going back to your Master P. So then I was invited to speak at an event, and Master P was there, and it was an athletic an athletes event, so it was all these football players, and so I thought he was a football player. I didn't know who he was. I shouldn't tell this story on public, public airways, but so, uh, so P, we're sitting around a circle and I, and I, and I start to lead, Hey, what are you doing? How can I help you? What are you doing? How can I help you? What are you doing? How can I help you? What are you doing? Cause I, I believe in what Zig Ziglar taught me help enough people get what they want. You get what you want. So whenever I'm in a situation, I'll say, you tell me what you do, and How can I help you? And so we went around the table, we did that. And then Percy goes, well, what are you doing? How can we help you? And I said, well, I got this software to protect and educate kids and protect kids and protect and hate and violence in the world. And I want to get blah, blah, blah. He goes, I want to see it. So I come over and co- what do I show him? I show him the Shrek Kids Safe Browser. Now, again, here's another lesson in licensing and in branding. The second I showed him that I had Shrek and Shrek brand on my technology, sales cycle and overdone good. It was good enough for Shrek. It's good enough for it's good enough for DreamWorks. good enough for me. He said, I want my daughter to be your spokesperson. And at that time, he had a daughter named Symphony, who was going on Nickelodeon, had a Nickelodeon show. And he says, talk to my assistant. <laughs> he says, talk to my assistant. We'll work the deals out. And I, and, and I go, who is that? He goes, she goes, that's Master P. And I go, Mr. P? You call him Mr. P? She goes, no, not Mr. P. Master P. And I'm like, it's Master P. She's like, you don't know who Master P is? I'm like, no. So, that's kind of how that that relationship started.
0: I love it. Um, So one question that I have is I kind of wanted to showcase the range from, you know, from launch cart to, uh, a browser for kids to investment banking in your twenties. Like you have done a wide array of different, of different opportunities and taken advantage of a lot of stuff and done different things, but you can only do one thing at a time. And I think that's something that a lot of people our age struggle with is like, there's a million different ideas a million different ways you can make money but you can only do one thing at a time and i know that i struggle personally with that so how have you um you know done everything but also done one thing at a time
2: well that's a really great question and and and, and there's and let me let me let me combat that just a little bit most people can only do one thing at a time or should only do one thing at a time some people certain uh, personality traits like if you take those four boxes of the personality traits I'm one of those guys that sits in the middle with all four and I'm a little bit better at multitasking than most. Um, but I'm constantly in my whole life, I've taught entrepreneurs focus and sequence. It's about focus and sequence. It's about what am I doing next? Now, if you do want and to, then, and then you have this whole philosophy of multiple streams of income and oh, I'll have this and have that and have this. See, most people can't do that. Now, I do like the idea of multiple streams of income, but it's like focus sequence. And then when you have something that's working and going, then you can maybe take your and start focusing on something else. Uh, but I think you can do things, um, at different times and different, 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 like I did mergers and acquisitions at the same time, I was doing investment banking. And, and even like with launch card, we're doing, we're running brands, we're scaling brands, we're consulting and coaching brands, and I'm building a SaaS software company. So they're all synergistic and related. And you know how you do it? Team delegation, if you don't have the capital to bring on the team and you don't have the money for the team, it, it, it's practically impossible. But when you have people and you can bring people on and you can hire a team, and I, and I think that's the hardest thing that any entrepreneur wants to create anything of significance, that's the hardest piece of the puzzle: is hiring the right people, partnering with the right people, stru- you know, structuring deals with the right people and having team, like you guys working together. It's so like sometimes you have these partnerships that are made in heaven, like my partnership with Bert Ullman. It's like we met, we shook hands. We we shook hands on a deal the day we met. And we've been partners ever since, since 2015. And never had an argument, never had a problem. So it's just been fantastic. That's rare. <laughs> that's really rare. But you know, when you can do it, that's where you can make things happen.
1: Is there a sweet spot where you like to coach people?
2: I love marketing and I'm good at marketing. When I left the investment banking world, I had lost a lot of money because I had invested and in, I believed in a lot of startups, right? I was young and dumb, and you walked in my door. And the guy comes to my door and he goes, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna start something called Home Shopping Network, and we're gonna sell stuff on the television seven, twenty four, three sixty five, in 1983." And you're going, "Well, wait a sec. There's only three cable. There's only three television stations. Cable didn't exist in 1983. It was just coming out, and there were like there's one or two cable stations coming out. And two, no one had ever given their credit card over a phone, but yet I believed in the guy. Now it was one of the deals that we turned out to be a winner. Like we raised the guy the original six hundred grand to start." home shopping network. Right. But then you have the other guys that came in that, you know, they're gone history. We lost our money. So for every one deal I invested in, you know, maybe I had seven or eight deals I lost my money on. So I remember coming out of that, you know, when I retired and moved here to San Diego, I'm like, why, why, why did these companies fail? I really kind of studied it, went back through it. And I, and I got it. I I got them to two things, management and marketing. Like, look, without good management, it's really hard to succeed. It, it, I I just, you just can't do it, right? And if you have really good management and crappy marketing, you can do okay. You can stay alive. You can build something. And if you have really good marketing and crappy management, yeah, you can maybe make it. But you have really good marketing and really good management, you, you, you can't lose. And so that's what kind of got me into marketing. And so I said, okay, I'm going to start digging into marketing. I want to become a marketing. I want to become one of the top marketing guys in the world. Not for anybody else's benefit, but for, for my benefit, for my company's benefit. And then some and then another personal development guy told me, Well, if you want to be good at marketing, you better start teaching marketing. So I'm like, I did. So I started in 2004. I started teaching marketing on stage and taught marketing all over the world. And offline marketing, online marketing, and and again, you know, when you teach people and you take your 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 job seriously, you get really good at it, right? Because yeah, hey, I'm I'm sharing stuff with you and I want to be good at what I do.
1: And I'm actually really excited about that same principle. An opportunity came my way, uh, I could say today, last week, whatever, I confirmed that we're doing it today, just helping uh, one of our clients build curriculum for one of their products. And I'm like, that's really cool, because I've wanted to get into like creating curriculum to teach things. And I think I was saying this right before we got started, that we have built a healthy services business, and now we want to start diversifying into products uh, so we can have non-service revenue and one of those products would be like info products based on our knowledge about like data and analytics. So it's like really cool to now be doing it for someone else and getting paid for it as a trial. And then now I can use those in curriculum writing skills uh, for us, which is really exciting, just kind of a an un, not unrelated thought, but a thought that came up while, while you're speaking there. I, I had a question trying to remember the train of thought in terms of like it was something really specific about, oh, okay, I remember. So I, I heard you mention on another podcast that you were were pitched by Microsoft as well, like really early. I'm curious if there's an interesting story about that, just in terms of like the timeline of your career in the history of technology and the roles that you were in. Like you said, you had people pitching you home shopping in the 1980s. Like, do you specifically have a story that comes to mind from when Microsoft was first, like came across your desk in like an early investment banking scenario?
2: Well, not, not other than I was an early adopter. So we were using it on our computers and so we had it in our offices and we were, we were, we were invited to participate in the IPO. So as an investment banking firm, we got some allocation of the IPO, which, you know, that was like the golden goose back then because, you know, you, you had to be connected. And again, I'll go back to my rich dad. So there was absolutely no way I'm getting any part of that IPO if it wasn't for my dad and his connections. And I call it the good old boy network. And you guys have all heard that saying, the rich get richer. Why do the rich get richer? Because of the good old boy network. Now, again, there there's, there's also some cronyism that goes on there and some Unscrupulous practices with that as well, but for the most part, the rich get richer because of who they know and who knows them. And so that idea and that saying of your net worth directly is directly correlated to your network, who you know, is really true. And people don't really think that through. Like, if I, and again, like you, the way you and I were talking before, it's like you're doing this because of the relationships you can build and the stuff that you can learn, and that's the golden goose, right? So it's like. I did per- a business with Percy 10 years ago. Now he's back involved with me again. How is that going to change my life? It's going to 10x my business at least. Right? So relationships are key. I know you've done a lot formally besides having, again, like fortunate
1: circumstances in terms of like building your network with Angel Investor Network. And you've been doing that for a very long time as well. How did you, what have been like some of the most effective, really strategic networking plays in, in your career besides just like the, because everyone has circumstances where they're they're in a position they don't realize it, but in terms of deliberate actions as well.
2: Yeah, no, there's there's a couple of things that I like to share with that. One is one is is pay to play. Like, go invest and be in the rooms. Like 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 the first time you join a twenty five thousand dollar a year mastermind, you're going, man, I can't afford this or God, that's a lot of money. But then when you're in a room with a whole bunch of other twenty five thousand dollar people that pay twenty five thousand, you're going, wow. Okay, this I'm going to make a you know you make a quarter of a million dollars by three three people you meet right so one is be in the room and 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 be willing to invest in yourself and it's like it's like Warren Buffett said the number one way to beat inflation which now we're in inflationary times again is your skill sets like you have to invest in skill sets and you have to put money into yourself you can't beat that kind of investment Um, and then the other thing really going back to personal development too is you have to believe in yourself right. You you literally have to work on this everything in between these two ears, right? That five inches of, you know, mindset, mindset, mindset. That that dumb little thing. If you think you can, you can, is so true, right? And 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 getting rid of that negative self-talk. I literally have programmed myself, well, I get I get negative self-talk like everybody else, but it don't last but seconds and minutes, right? Because I I cast it down, I get rid of it, I say no to it, I replace it with something positive. And so I think that's really, really, really key that, you, that people focus on that. Um, and, and then the other thing I was going to say was when you start thinking about when you meet people, and this, this is kind of a, I, 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 I don't know how to say this even nicely, but I rate people. I literally have a, 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 an A, a double A, and a triple A rating system that if you, if you get in my Rolodex as a triple A, I'm going to keep in touch with you. If you get in my Rolodex as day, i I'm going to keep in touch with you. If you get in my Rolodex as a double A, I'm going to keep in touch with you. But if you don't get in as an A or double A AA or triple A, you might not hear from me. And and that's kind of sad to say, but because I publicly spoke and you guys can, you know, you're on stage and you're speaking to 3,000 people or 2,000 people or 500 people or what that number is, you're the guy, you get off stage and you just get bombarded with cards and people and people following you and all that kind of stuff. And so you just can't keep in touch with everybody. So... I really look at people going, you know, do I line with them spiritually? Is that a guy that I want to have a beer with? Is that a guy when I go play golf with? Is that, is that a guy who I want to bite to a boat and trip? You know, and you think about those, those relationships that you want to keep in touch with and do make it a part of your regimen that you ping them, happy birthday them. How can I help you? Uh, hey, I came across somebody. I want to refer them to you. You know, everything and anything to give first. And that's the last piece of that puzzle, right? Is don't go into these relationships with any expectations of getting anything go with the expectations giving something and let the universe you know bring it back to you tenfold
0: a lot of lessons in there um I, i know on another podcast that i listened to you uh and you just mentioned spiritual you said that the most important book for you is the bible um i'm curious how has that developed over the course of your life were you um you know Actively religious when you were 21 and and slinging M or were you? Is this something that you grew into later on, and how did that kind of change your your trajectory?
2: Yeah, no, that's a everyone has their journey, right? And so for me, my I was you know brought into church and you know got saved probably around 10 years old or six years old when I was young. I don't even remember, but I was young, and so I always remember going to church. And so yeah, when I got in and got my broker's license, started doing that. I was bored again and still going to church. But, but Wall Street got me. And I started doing the cocaine in the 80s. Everyone was doing the cocaine and drinking. And we were at the, the market closed at 2 o'clock. I was at the bar at 2.30. It was insane. I was, it was in, literally insane. And I would get high. And I, when I was high, I would pray to God, get me off this stuff, get me off this stuff. And then when I was sober, I'm like, I got to go get some. I got to go get some. I was addicted to it. And, uh, and I have a whole testimony on my website that people can go check it out. I went through this, this thing where I called my mom. I said, mom addicted to Coke, man. I says, I I said, I want to go to the house in Vail and I want to get clean. And if I don't get clean and come back clean and, and, and out of this, I want you to put me in a home, have me committed. And I called my dad who, you know, they work together, right? They're, you know, different, different homes. I told my dad the same thing. So I went to the house in Vail, my dad's house in Vail, which that's not a very good place to go to get off cocaine, by the way. Um, But I did, I went there and I locked myself in this condo and God opened up my eyes and I saw into the spirit realm and I saw angels and demons fighting. And I went through the, you know, for like 24 hours, I went through all this torment and all this problems and the angels won, demons left, I was instantly healed. And so for me and my journey, you can't tell me God doesn't exist. You can't tell me demons don't exist. You can't tell me angels don't exist. I personally experienced it. I saw it with my own eyes and I literally left that thing and never touched cocaine again.
1: There's something we're consistently hearing in just the way you talk about even just the personal development, which is, you know, a branch of spirituality. sometimes if you think about it, cause it's a commitment to something that you don't have necessarily like concrete evidence for, right? It's like the best way to help yourself is to help others. That's can't prove that. I mean, you can hear a thousand people who said, I love led my life this way and things were good because of it. But you can also find a thousand people who are going to, you know, have resentment and say, "I all these people walked all over me forever." And look, I've got nothing to show for it. So it's one of those things we just also have to have to buy in. It. So it's it's really interesting that I mean, first of all, it's just a really interesting story, and I did not know that that was. Uh, you know, Kyle asked, what seemed like uh, it was it was a good question. It was a great question, but I had no idea where it was going to go. So I'm really pleased with how that turned out. Just saying, it was really cool.
2: It's one of those things where I hope that people hear the stories, and you know, and for me um the idea that and i and i'll tell you the, the other flip side of that coin that i just have to share i'm just feeling like i should share this is that you know you have these school shootings and you have all these tragic things that happen and so i when i coach people consult people i say to them blame it on the devil like like if 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 you can just blame it on the devil and say the devil made that 16 year old go in that school and kill those kids and the devil made this guy do it and you can hate the devil and hate the demons it's a lot easier to forgive the individual. And again, my dad was an alcoholic. And when my dad got drunk, he was a mean, mean alcoholic. And I used to hate him. And then I got taught this principle of angels and demons and kind of learned this and got it from my own two eyes from my own, my, own, my own person. Then I'm like, okay, I can hate the alcoholism and love my dad. And, and, I, and I think that's really healing for a lot of people. I, I can hate the abuse, but love the person. Not that anybody should stay in an abusive relationship. But again, it's demons, and, and this is Greg Rad. This, in my opinion, is demons. Like, there's no reason. There's no. You can't convince me by in anything you could say 16 year old or 18 year olds walking in school and killing kids with, with guns and weapons and stuff, it's not demon possessed. Just don't believe it. So even if you don't believe, it's a good reason to re- to reason with things, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I have more to add there, other than um, you know, I think that's in many ways freeing for people personally like there are parts of me that you know i've done things wrong i've done i've uh, just like anybody else and if you can attribute that to you know the uh, the devil then it's freeing um yeah but i want to uh switch to launch cart and i want to start at the very beginning uh h- how did you decide that this is going to be something that you're going to invest a lot of energy into? than uh, something that you wanted to create. Me and
2: my business partner started a company called Celebrity Lifestyle Brands. And the idea was we're going to partner with influencers and help them build a real brand, kind of like uh, uh, the Kardashian, the Jenner girl did, you know, whatever with her, with her makeup. I can't remember her name right now. Uh, she was like the youngest billionaire. But the idea Kylie. was let's help them. Yeah, Kylie. So just like Kylie Jenner did with Jenner Cosmetics, right? Help these influencers build a real brand Bring this, 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 uh, knowledge I have of asset protection, you know, corporation setup, tax, tax structures, things of that stuff that I got from my investment making world and brand protection. Cause we've all met these people that made a lot of money and lost it. And these athletes that had bad managers and lost all their money. I'm like, let's be that trusted advisor and partner with them as a joint venture or a venture capitalist and, and help build brands. Well, my partner he launched Jennifer Lopez's brand and Nicki Minaj and Adam Levine and all these big people. And so when we formed the company, we started doing stuff with Bethany Frankel and Carlos Santana and did some consulting coaching with a brand for uh that Sofia Vagara was involved with, and we started doing millions of dollars in e-commerce. And I'm managing the digital marketing, doing the e-commerce and using Shopify. And you know, this is 2016, 2017 going into 2018 and you're just going you know, as a digital marketer upsells, downsells, croc sales, tracking, analytics, lifetime value, customer value, average order value. You couldn't do any of that stuff with, with Shopify. And if you did, it was an app and it cost you a fortune. You had to install this app, install that app. And I'll, and I'll never forget, I was i was just like, man, we should create our own platform. We should create our own platform. And then I went to Shopify, I, I Googled Shopify support and I saw their stock quote. You know, here I'm a former investment banker. I'm like, I didn't even know they were publicly traded. And I looked them up and Sure enough, there were $10 billion. I actually saved a screenshot of it. And like $10 billion? This software's were in- Oh my God. I called up burnt burnt. We got to put everything on hold. We got to start our own platform. We have the crystal ball. We know the pain points. I've invested in dead software companies in the past. We can create a competitor Shopify and we can take, we can take a billion dollars from these guys. As sure as I'm sitting here. You have the celebrities, you have the contacts, I have the digital marketing experience, I have some celebrity contacts. We can do this. So that was kind of what started it was just this idea that we wanted a better platform. And I I was kind of like, this could be the last deal I do as I go into my retirement. And that led me to getting into dropshipping. And we did 400,000 sales in eight months doing dropshipping. $17 million in revenue. We spent 7 million of our own money on ads. That's the good news. The bad news is the suppliers I had screwed me on the last 50,000 units, and they did not ship the last 50,000 units. And I went from making a couple million a month in 2019 to having to give 50,000 refunds. I had like 25, 30 people giving refunds 16 hours a day until I ran out of money and blew up. And then every bank account I had was shut down, every merchant account I had was shut down, I was out of business. But I learned all the pain points in drop shipping, and we're build that into what we're calling the Source and Sell Marketplace. So that's what kind of has crystallized my vision. Going, okay, now I went from this the SaaS platform to I'm going to build a marketplace, and I'm going to fix these problems with drop shipping, and I'm going to make it so real brands and uh, reputable brands get in the drop shipping consumer business, and we can really empower entrepreneurs. And again, that's why Percy's like, I want to get back involved with you because what you're doing is amazing, and we can really empower you know, the African-American culture and, and entrepreneurs globally and really help them, you know, earn an income and change their lives through, through this, this model, what we're putting together.
1: So I think people listening to this show generally are pretty familiar with Shopify. What are the, in terms of making it real and making it specific, the reasons at present someone chooses you over Shopify for uh, a new brand, a sophisticated brand, any of those?
2: Well, we're still kind of new the the main reason is we launched with the freemium model, right? So the idea is you could get started for free and you could maybe it takes you however long it takes you to build your store and get going. You don't have to pay any monthly fees. So that kind of lowers the barrier of entry right there, which is why we've had over 40,000 people sign up on the platform. Number two, I said to myself, look, what are the must-haves? What are the must-have features you must have to do e-commerce properly? Well, you must have customer reviews. Like, Amazon's trained the world. If you don't have customer reviews, you, you can't really succeed in e-commerce. Well, why why with Shopify, do I have to go to the app store and search for customer reviews and choose from a whole bunch of different options and try to figure out which one is best when I know nothing about e-commerce and then I got to pay extra for it. So we said, okay, let's figure out the must-haves and let's build those in natively to LaunchCart. So now speed the market because it's already built in. Two, it's part of our plan. So you don't have to pay extra for it. Three, it plays nicer. It doesn't slow down your store. And so it, it, you're going to have, high, you know, theoretically a higher page load speed, which means you're going to have higher conversions. And then we said, okay, we got the must-haves. What about the should-haves? Well, you should have order bumps and upsells and downsells and checkout page editor. So let's build in the should-haves, the things that the real internet marketing right? and analytics. Boy, what, I want to split test. I want to see my analytics. Yeah, let's build that in because those are the should-haves. And and so we're going to have an app store like Shopify. We do have an app store like Shopify, but um, for the most part, you don't even have to go get any other apps because we have all the stuff that you need and that you should have to be successful e-commerce already built in.
0: One piece of the vision that I heard you talk about uh, on another podcast was cross-selling between merchants. Like if I have, you know, if I'm selling dumbbells uh, and I don't have a, a, the infrastructure to sell kettlebells. Maybe somebody else on Launchcart does, and I can plug their product in and earn an earn an affiliate uh, affiliate uh, commission on that. Is that correct?
1: To my understanding, to yeah. it's even affiliate commission would just be a direct. It could be branded and more of just a dropshipping situation instead of affiliate. I don't know if that's that. Yeah, no, and that's
2: like, not, lang- uh, like lang- language, just like language and semantics, right? Yeah, um, because you know the idea is. I got this little, I don't know if people can't really see it if there's this, but I have this thing on my hand called a spin gym. And it's like this little thing that you can work out with at your desk. You can take it with you and travel with it. It's called the spin gym and it works out your arms and you can change it. So here's an example. They sold 2 million of these on Home Shopping Network. Okay. So we know it's a proven seller. They don't know how to sell them online, right? So I say to these guys, well, what's your avatar? This is the vision, right? What's your avatar? Oh, my avatar is, you know, 45 to 6-year-old women. They got flabby arms that travel a lot, right? don't have time to work out. Okay, theoretically, a year from now I got a million sellers on LaunchCards platform. I go into my database and I just type in, you know, you know, this avatar. I go out of my million sellers, I have 10,000 stores that sell to they it's a fitness related store that sell to your exact avatar. So what we can do is we can introduce this product to those 10,000 stores and let's say half of them say I want to sell that, why not? I don't have to pay for inventory, I don't have to drop ship it. It's a cool little item. It's a proven seller. You got videos, you got testimonials, you got all that kind of stuff. I'll sell it, they click a button and now this product is for sale in their store. When somebody buys it from their store, the order data goes to the company, this manufacturer and they get paid instantly and then the person gets a commission for selling this product. And what's different about what I want to build and what we're doing differently is this banking as a service. We're having a split payment system at the point of purchase for every single seller on launch Cart. So therefore, I take the bookkeeping pains out of this model. Because when I was doing drop shipping, we were writing checks to hundreds of different vendors, 10,000 here, 5,000 here, 50,000 here, 400,000 here, 20,000 here, 30,000 here. It was a nightmare. And then you get some refunds trying to figure out you know, all this stuff. and I reconciled. It was an absolute nightmare. I'm like, wait a sec, with blockchain and banking as a service and these wallet systems, let's just split the money at the point of purchase and everyone gets paid. That's okay. what no one's ever done before. That's pretty clever. And, and kind of going back to your question a second ago about why we did this is, you know, I, I, I give credit to God because I wake up with this idea and I'm like, wow, that is brilliant. like, And I, and I literally, like in 2018, when I came with this idea, I'm like, I go talk to you know, some of our technology people. like, go, Greg, you can't do it. It can't be done. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I got this Gmail coming straight from God. <laughs> the fact that I thought of it means it can be done. So we're going down this path and you're gonna figure out how. And here now we are four years later and the technology exists and we can do it.
0: Yeah, so I think exciting. one piece of that, that's cool to me and Lewis, you can uh, I'll just say what's cool, uh, is the idea that like the the person who created the spin gym has an avatar, right? And they're pouring their resources into going after that avatar. But if you release the product to five thousand different marketers on this platform, they're all going to go after different uh avatars and find which one works the best. So the the supplier is the one who ends at the wins at the end of the day because they find out what the the highest converting avatar actually is by, you know, basically open sourcing it and giving it to 5,000 marketers to go find the right customer.
2: Well, you guys are so young. You don't, you know, you, you think about how this model works, right? So so I, I use this example of DGK. You ever heard of Dirty Ghetto Kids, DGK? So DGK is out of Carlsbad. It's just it's just about 15 That's miles. That's probably
1: street. why I knew of it, Kyle, right? Yeah. So, or West Coast. And,
2: and, and they it was a streetwear brand, right? And how did they sell mm-hmm. their streetwear brand? They went to every skateboard shop and every surfboard right. shop on the West Coast and said, hey, will you carry my brand? Will you carry my brand? Will you carry my brand? Next thing you know, they had 100 stores carrying their brand. That's what I want to do with this. I'm just duplicating the traditional brick and mortar distribution model online. And organizing and making everything simple for supply side, uh, for supply side management and and inventory management and all that kind of stuff. So it's no different that if I have you know a a a, a, a Louis Vuitton purse and I'm selling at Nordstroms and Macy's and all these different boutiques, same thing online. I got these high end online stores. Yeah, you can sell my Louis Vuitton purse. I you know so I'm going to bring real brands into this dropshipping world. And, the, and here's other thing. Why don't real brands already get into drop shipping? Because they're more concerned about their brand. They're concerned that guys that are internet marketers go sell a thousand Louis Vuitton bags, put the money in their pocket, change their IP address, start another store and do it all over again and hurt their brand. So if we can split the payment out at the point of purchase and they're guaranteed to get payment and they get the customer data, which they're not getting from Walmart, they're not getting from Amazon, they're not getting from these other marketplaces. They're like, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm, that, that's the first thing. But I don't want them, I don't want them changing the product titles or the product descriptions. Or I don't want them putting, you know, Oprah endorse this stuff. And I'm like, because we own the SaaS platform and the marketplace, we can allow the brands to go, yep, lock titles, lock descriptions, lock photos. So now you're going to give me the rights to sell it, but I can't change anything.
1: I've been learning so many interesting, about so many interesting things, dynamics. And it's the thing that people just don't realize about, like, which markets that seem mature because of large market caps just still have so much, uh, bandwidth for like disruption You know, we've done we had reshob uh, that episode will be coming out really soon it'll be out by the time this episode's out for the people listening to have a cohesive experience but you know it's talking about native checkout flows for influencers specifically on like a different brand that's like a whole different skew but like still super viable so it's like if you're a basketball clothing brand and every player has their own instagram ad where they're they're wearing the clothes it takes them to a landing page with that same face and a checkout page with the same face and the whole way through. And there's just so many of these niche detailed use cases that aren't actually niche because of just the volume of transaction volume and how little it takes to actually make something a super viable business.
2: Yeah. No. And, and you know what I said earlier, I said we were doing a live stream and I'm like, if you're not, if you as an e-commerce or a brand or a manufacturer don't have a influencer marketing strategy, you're not going to make it. Because more and more and more people don't want to support the big big businesses and the big corporations, and they love buying from the people they trust and they get their wisdom from or they follow, right? That, that authentic stuff. So, and again, we're getting into the nil space. Are you familiar with the nil?
1: We both went to Alabama for school, so yeah, uh,
2: unavoidable. So, so now that the laws have changed, I think it's twenty eight states now. You can you know monetize your name, image, and likeness.
1: That's a really interesting imagine to go after for the, the...
2: like masterpiece. Son is uh, Mercy. He he plays for. Uh, um, Notre Dame high school. And he's like the number nine ranked shooting guard in the country. I think he's already got to deal with Reebok. So imagine you have Reebok and you put Reebok into the marketplace. And you say, okay, Mercy, as opposed to sending traffic to Reebok, let's create your own brand, your own store, your own asset. And let's click a button to put Reebok in your store because you're repping Reebok, right? Now you're sending people back to your store. It's your customer. Now you're sharing the customer data with them too, of course, because it's their, their product, right? But it's your brand, it's your database, it's your asset, because two years from now, maybe you're not with Reebok, or maybe you're not going to the NBA. Now you still have a brand that you've built during that height of your your athletic career as in high school and college, and you're monetizing your brand. So we're working, we're going to go real, we're going to build a big, big division to help high school students and college students to create their own online, you know, merch stores, basically t-shirts, hats, hoodies, you know, with their with their branded merch. And then we'll tie in the schools, we'll tie in the real brands, and it should be a win win for everybody. Super
1: exciting. I uh, I feel like there's so much we could get into. And I think we'll do a couple of bonus questions and probably probably wrap up. Kyle, do you have a first bonus question?
0: Yeah, I don't know how much of a bonus question it is, but I did want to ask about money. Uh, you know, you've mentioned multiple times that you're born into a wealthy family, kind of have had money throughout your life and have not had money at times, I assume. How has your relationship with money um evolved and you know, I want to avoid asking, "Does money buy happiness?" But like, what is your, you know, perspective on money as like a, a a force on your life?
2: Okay, so a couple things. One is my father lost all his money before he died, so I didn't inherit any money. Like, I I think I maybe got like a hundred grand or something like that. So that that wasn't there. But in Wall Street, I did make millions and lose millions multiple times before I was thirty years old. And so I definitely and then in, in, in the eighties, that was a lot of money. Um, so you, you, you have this relationship, I think where it gets, for me, it goes back to my faith, right? It's like, you know, God, family, uh, you, you've got your priorities straight, but it can man money. It takes money to do anything. It takes money to, you know, I, I love master P and, and Percy, what he was saying. He's like, the more we make, the more we give. Like, so we have a heart to give and we have a heart to make a change and I can't take it with me. So we want to do things that, that are meaningful to people and, and to help people and empower people. And. And, you know, there's just no reason people shouldn't have the ability to, you know, take care of themselves financially. So for me, um, and again, I've told you some more stories where I went all in, like with my Tukey and my safe browser. The, the other part of that story was I had $3 million in the account. And in 2008, when the market crashed, I had my money in a fund and the fund invested in Bernie Madoff's real estate scam or real estate stuff. And I lost all the money. Woke up one day between Christmas and New Year's minus $3 million cash. I hurt. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then this whole China debacle—I call it—that hurt too, right? So, but again, the the thing about that is, is when you really have a good mindset and you work on your skill sets your whole life, you don't worry about money because making enough money to live and survive is easy. on not hard. I'm making money to do what I want to do here with LaunchCart. I'm, you know, I'm getting investors right now. I'm allowing investors to invest in LaunchCart right now. So that's important. That you know, money's a money's a tool to, you know, grow and to, um, speed up things. I tell people like, I can tell you my vision. You guys go, yeah, I got it. See, I have great vision. And it's like, I have this big brick wall, right. And on the other side of the brick wall is a solid gold vein of gold. It's 24 karat gold. It's two feet by two feet. And it goes for, you know, th- you know, three miles. And we know the gold's there. And I'm with the hammer and a pick. Picking through the cement to get to it. It's like you give me $5 million, it's like I can go rent a backhoe and I can start taking chunks of that wall out, get to that goal.
1: It's a tool to accelerate progress. Yeah. Uh, one question I have you definitely have expressed, again, among, among many interests and many passions, like a strong passion for, for digital marketing. Where are you currently learning to stay cutting edge there? Because that's like a crazy fast changing place. And I feel like that might be the last question, though, even though we could get into like AI and early adoption there and a bunch of other stuff. But just out of respect for everyone's time.
2: You know what? That's a, that's a really tough question in this, in this day and age. And it kind of goes back to one of your very first questions about doing multiple things, right? You literally can go down a rabbit hole every 15 minutes in the marketing space and AI and you know conversions and technology and tech stacks and video and just, it's, it's, it's insane. So again, it kind of comes back to your goals and you have to really be clear on your vision and your goals. And then you have to try to make this test and see when you get to be my age, you kind of just do it naturally and because I've done it so long. Be like, does this, I, this thing I'm getting ready to spend time on, does it serve that goal that I said I want to achieve? Like I'm producing my own movie. This is the part I'm supposed to be playing. And if I do this, does it fit that role? And when people can figure that out, they can really stay in sequence and stay in set and kind of keep going. So for me, I'm involved with a few online groups and I'm connected to some real wicked smart guys, uh, in the, in the media buying space. And I'm one of these guys that really believes in media buying. I believe the guy who can spend the most money in advertising wins. So I'm all about split testing. I'm about tracking and optimizing and you know, buying traffic profitably or buying traffic at a break even or buying traffic at where I lose money the first month, but I'm making money the second or third month. And who can spend the most wins? And so trying to keep up with the media platforms. Okay, now TikTok's hot. You know, okay, and Snapchat's even coming back a little bit. You know, YouTube's doing better than, you know, Facebook and Instagram, so expensive these days. So you're just trying to stay in those, those worlds. And it, 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 it gets easier when you have the money to hire a team, right? So, um, and then from that standpoint, you're just kind of like the puppeteer and you're like, you know, kind of managing things. And another thing that I have, I think it's a flaw in some respects, but I think it's one of my biggest assets too, and maybe you guys might appreciate this, you might be like this, but whenever something comes along, I like to learn it. Like I've been posed by so many people, PR people, I'll get you press, I'll get you in Forbes magazine, or oh, I'll run your ads for you, or I'll do this for you, I'll do that. And, and this, they're posers. They really don't know what they're doing. So I, you know, I, So I've learned everything. Like I ran my own ads. I ran millions of dollars a month of ads. So when I meet an ad buyer, and I'm talking to an ad buyer or a media buyer, I can find out, I, I can tell if they're full of shit or not. So, but again, so I think that's something else too. I like to learn what I want to do so that no one can pose me again because I've I've just thrown so much money away to pose. Great. Strikers. as someone who just
1: is having a lot of, has had a lot of fun with do- everything they're doing for a long time and I love that energy. Uh, definitely curious to check back in with you when launch cart's a bit more further on the roadmap and you had the, t- you built the team and they've taken off big chunks of the wall. I'm curious to hear how the how the hypothesis plays out just as things move on. But this has been really, really fun. What's the best place for people to keep up with the progression of launch cart? I, I know I've heard you say before, you're not super like that's one of the things in your efforts to stay focused. You're not a, a hyperactive personal brand online. But in terms of just the the body of work that you have, where's the best yeah, place to know, direct really, people?
2: Really Launchcart.com, our launch cart Instagram, our cart Facebook official group. I have people that I pay money to that do training on a regular basis, weekly basis, and so we're pretty active with doing that. And then I have a little newsletter I'm starting called Writer's Wisdom, where I just try to do little videos and the inspirational things at GregWriter.com. But I am focused, and I don't spend, you know, I again going back to that thing. Here's my goals. Here's what I want to accomplish. Here's my role. Does this fit within that? And you're, and and again, so what? What is that really? It's like, how can you say no more often? Because it's about what you're saying no to, right? And then sequence, doing things in the right sequence.
1: Just making down notes. There's so much you're saying, you know, three years in still, uh, it's just the fundamentals just over and over again and just adhering to them. Well, it's been a blast. Thank you so much.
0: And that wraps up another episode of the Lewis and Kyle show. Thank you to Greg for coming on. Greatly appreciate it and enjoyed the conversation. My three takeaways quickly are number one, Uh, it's something that Lewis said, but it stuck out to me since we recorded this episode, and that is a religious adherence to self-help principles. And the reason that stuck out to me is because it's so easy to discount advice that you've heard in the past. And all of the good advice pretty much has already been told because it's obvious. Wake up early, go work out. The simple things that are easy to ignore because they're cliche, but if you follow those things and believe that those things will make your life better they will a hundred percent of the time and so i really enjoyed that takeaway that was a result of this conversation with greg that lewis brought up number two is that life is long when greg was 21 he was running an investment bank and his life today looks a lot different than that of a a ceo of an investment bank and it encourages me because the next thing or the thing you're doing now isn't necessarily the thing you're going to do forever. You should obviously focus on what you're doing and make it as good as possible. But life is about seasons and things just naturally change and evolve over time, which is, I think, something that people our age forget. And number three, money comes and goes, but skills and relationships are not things that anybody can take away. And those are the things that that Greg was able to leverage and use over and over and over again to improve his life, his circumstances, and more. So that wraps up this episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show. As always, we are very grateful to the listener for listening. If you want to reach out to Lewis or or I about any given topic about the podcast, you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, really anywhere that social media happens. We have an account at the Lewis and Kyle Show easy to find. And if you enjoyed this episode, we have 145 other episodes that are similar in nature, and we think that you will enjoy those too. So please give those a listen, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks.